What if, with the right mindset, anything is possible? Join us now and find out how. It's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka is here to inspire you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Today, Marla is here to inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power with the Million Dollar Mindset. Today, she'll share heartwarming stories, teach you tips and tricks to building a successful business, plus how to unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset. And now, here's your host, Marla Tabaka. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the Million Dollar Mindset. We have yet another really informative and fun show here today. I'm really excited about this topic today, and I hope you will be, too. Today's guest says that old patterns of thinking will no longer do in today's world where unique and complex situations emerge daily, and they really do, especially in business, don't they? He says that for us to grow our companies in a healthy and sustainable way, the people within those companies must learn how, rather than what, to think in novel and emerging situations. So the bottom line here is that to remain competitive, organizations must rethink thinking. We're here today on the Million Dollar Mindset with author and president of the Regis Company, Michael Vaughn. Twenty years ago, Vaughn was a rising star in artificial intelligence, but he quickly realized that adept computer design was only a tool in elevating the thought processes of people. So his search led him deeper than into neuroscience, of course, one of my favorite topics, right? Behavioral science, computer science, educational science, and the emerging realm of neuroplasticity. Now, driven by a relentless desire to change the way people think and learn, Vaughn co-founded a startup focused on developing custom business simulations for Fortune 1000 companies. And today, he's the president of the Regis Company, which is one of the world's top custom simulation firms specializing in transforming leadership among Fortune 500 companies and government agencies. So we're really lucky to have Michael here today to talk more about how we can apply some of, of his knowledge and uh, these simulations perhaps to our smaller businesses so that we can rethink thinking as well. So I don't know about you, but I'm really excited to learn more about this amazing subject. So, Michael, welcome to the Million Dollar Mindset. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I uh, truly enjoy your program. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. I'm, I'm just thrilled. You know, you can tell by the name of the show, this is all about the way we think and, and mindset and, and um, you know, staying up with, with uh, ways of leading that will keep us on top of these emerging situations. And so I'm really eager to learn more and to give definition for our, our listeners to some of the terms that we have already used here today in, in this introduction. Tell us a little bit about what business simulations are. Oh, you bet. Well, it's, a, it's been a fantastic tool for us um, to really put people into what we call our emotionally engaging, uh, intellectually rigorous situation. So uh, best way to think about it is uh, most people are familiar with a flight simulator where mm -hmm. they're used to training pilots. Well, a business simulation places a business uh, individual person into a situation 
where they're faced with uh, many different decisions, uh, different types of problems that they have to solve, and they make these decisions and they input their answers in the simulation, and then it gives them feedback and it uh, gives them insights into some of their decisions of what went well and areas uh, that they impacted in the business. And it's all, so all of this is automated. It's a computer process. Yeah. It, it, okay. Most of it is automated, yes. It's part of a computer simulation, but uh, a big part of it is actually having facilitators and coaches and uh, observers in there as well to see some of the behavioral uh, components of uh, going through these simulations. That's great. At some point in the show, I'd like to talk about how smaller businesses, because most of our audience here is made up of the smaller, the small business owner, even the micro and and uh, solo business. So you know they may not be able to afford a product like what your company offers or a custom solution, of course. But by facilitating workshops and such with with coaches, they can you know get something that's maybe not akin to it, but suitable for their business. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. And a couple other things that we've also focused on, realizing not everyone has access to simulations, is really trying to provide everyone, uh, regardless of the size of business that they're running, uh, with a set of what we call our thinking practices. Uh, they're kind of a, a set of tools and uh, a language that allows you to uh, be a little more effective at making decisions and solving problems and collaborating with others. Okay. So can you give us an example, Michael, of, of some of the questions that someone um, going through your simulation might be asked? Well, sure. Yeah, it, it kind of depends on the type of simulation. Uh, sure. It's everything from uh, running a large multinational uh, simulation to a uh, taking a product to market. And so it could be decisions of how to grow uh, the organization, how to do uh, staffing, um, how to plan your marketing and, and sales strategies. Um, so it really does cover almost every aspect of the business. And the real goal there is to get people to think systemic about their business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, um, you know, we've, we've been talking about today's more turbulent world and, and how quickly the unexpected can just really, really knock us for a loop, right, with the economy and such and the changes. And so I know as a business coach that it's difficult for businesses who are doing well or fairly well to all of a sudden have to change their thinking. And even with the millennials coming into play in terms of directing our marketing toward a different generation in a very, very, very different way than we've ever, ever had to do, um, asking these provocative questions can really help an entrepreneur understand how to kind of shift the gears and, and go a different direction from where he or she has typically traveled. Absolutely. Great points. And, you know, one of the things that uh, we often talk about is uh, this whole mindset or this shift in thinking really starts with the realization that, you know, most, most of the thinking that got us uh, by this year will most likely not get us uh, by next year. And so it really does take a new mindset, you know, where you're, you're learning how to learn, unlearn, and relearn quickly, if you will, and be able to adapt to new situations. And as you pointed out, deal with amb ambiguity and the complexity and instability of today's businesses and being able to adapt to all those things quickly is going to be imperative to uh, anyone in business. Mm -hmm. So 
when you say, when you use the term that we used in your introduction, um, people learning how to think versus people, you know, versus what to think, these processes will help them develop a different way of addressing situations. Can you give us an example from, you know, past clients or, or what have you to, to kind of help us understand it a little better? Absolutely, sure. Um, if you really think about this, um, what to think. Uh, it's it's pretty predominant uh, way of training in more, most organizations. And what, what we mean by that, it's, uh, it's really started all the way from our public school system, if you will, where uh, we provide people with a lot of information. We teach processes, teach procedures, uh, methodologies, and it's basically teaching them what to think in maybe different uh, situations. Um, the difficulty with that, however, is that uh, things are changing too quickly now. It's, if, 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 if you almost can't rewrite your own job description in a year from now, then you really are stuck in a what-to-think mindset. And so the how-to-think mindset is really about how to adapt your role, your responsibilities, your thinking to new situations. And that's really understanding kind of the patterns of your business, understanding how to look at your business more systemically and how to make more systemic types of decisions. And so that's that's the primary difference between a what to think mindset and a how to think mindset. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, an example from your experience. I, I assume you do facilitation, or at least did facilitation, at at some point in your career. Is that right? Yeah, I, I did uh, uh, quite a bit in the earlier days, but uh, not too much anymore. But uh, still, do enjoy getting in front of clients as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. I, I bet you would miss that. I know I would. Um, so, so can you give us some kind of cool examples of how, you know, someone, a leader, a business owner, or, or what have you going through your process, uh, what some of their ahas were and how it helped their business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's take a, a most recent sim that uh, actually was part of. Um, the, the team was really set on trying to grow uh, their market share in Europe. And they started to, uh, you know, pour a lot of money into advertising, thinking that would increase their brand and so forth. And uh, and the early simulation results started to prove that that was absolutely the case. They started to grow their market share through some brand recognition. But uh, what they quickly realized is they didn't communicate very effectively to uh, down their supply chain, down into production and operations. And so they weren't uh, well equipped with enough inventory or enough materials to make inventory. So as customers started going in to buy their products, uh, if you will, uh, there weren't enough products available. And as we know, consumers today, uh, they have so many choices, uh, they have very little loyalty, and so they quickly started uh, losing their market share. Mm -hmm. So that was a big aha for this team to realize that collaboration, thinking through, yes, you might have one initiative, but it's going to impact so many other parts of your business and a great leader is one who steps back and really thinks through uh, all those other parts of the business that's going to be impacted and how to bring all those people together to collaboratively go after that market share together. Right, right. So that's that's amazing. I, I'd love to apply it then if we can, and I don't know if this is putting you on the spot or if it's not even applicable, but let's take a look at this. 
um, to a small business example that I'm going to give you from one of my clients to see if, you know, we can think of a process perhaps that she could go through to understand her growth because she was just, she just developed a new product, a, a um, an online system that has been uh, contracted by a Fortune 100 company. And so this is going to mean immediate and huge, huge growth for her company. And mm-hmm. So we're going into break in just a few seconds, but perhaps when we come back from break, we could kind of break that apart a little bit and see, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you would have to I would, offer. I would love to. I think that would be okay. great. Let's, let's dive into that. Okay, good. Thanks, Michael. And you are listening to The Million Dollar Mindset with guest Michael Vaughn. We're having a lot of fun already, so make sure and stay tuned. We are going to be back with you after these very short breaks. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Do holidays and celebrations get you down and leave you feeling frazzled? Then join Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon, 11 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Sandy will help you discover the secrets to having the celebrations you've always dreamed of while adding fun and meaning to your life. From Valentine's Day to Christmas to special family events, Sandy Fowler will show you how to put the fun and meaning back into those special days by taking a look at what we can do to turn the upcoming holidays into cherished memories and show us how to allow it to intertwine with everyday life. For more on the show, Sandy, and to receive Sandy's Holiday Happiness Booklet, go to HeartfilledHolidays.com. Then get set to discover the secrets to creating happy holidays and happy everydays by joining Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Toginet.com. Are you the kind of parent who just wants their kids to live the life of their dreams? Well, grab your kids and join How to Raise a Millionaire Radio with Ann Morgan James and Jack James. It's a lively interview and call-in show, Thursday, 6 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. This dynamic mother and son team are on a mission. They want to empower kids to dream big and go after those dreams with gusto. They want to fill the world with kid entrepreneurs. Are your kids ready for success? Don't miss their fun annex, lively guests, and discussions. For more on Ann and Jack and their show, check out their website, howtoraisemillionaire.com. Then join the conversation of lively interviews and call-ins, and let's give our kids the tools and encouragements they need to build a future they can bank on, no matter what the economy throws their way. It's How to Raise a Millionaire Radio with Ann Morgan James and Jack James, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marla Tabaka. 
And we're here today with Michael Vaughn, and, and Michael's a leading authority on serious games and business simulations, and we are talking about how we can translate what he does for his Fortune 500 clients to, and government agencies to the small business owner. And uh, Michael holds degrees in cognitive science, computer science from Colorado State University, and um, so, you know, we've got a ton, a wealth of not just knowledge but education here too that I'm very excited to uh, kind of pick your brain a little bit here Michael so thanks for being with us absolutely um, yeah so so going into break I was asking if we could kind of translate some of this to the small business so I have a client who um, has done I think I can say this just fine without divulging anything she's a, a pay-per-click agency and and you know fairly successful with that but now she's developed this this wonderful black box system, um, and they have sold the system to a, a huge, huge company, and, and they've done the trials, and the company loves it, um, and so it's, it's going into other divisions of that company and uh, into Europe, and so now we're looking at, at a very small company who only has a few employees, and she's not even sure at this point um, of of like what kind of manpower it's going to take to sustain for so many different divisions. So how could your process or one similar to it help her, and what specifics could she maybe go through to, to kind of determine that? Absolutely. Well, um, maybe it's best to go back to just our, our starting as a company as well. I, I remember uh, there was four of us piled into a single-person office and uh, to this day, I'm still remembering our remembering when in our first contract, and I think it was probably around 10 or 11 in the morning, and we were so excited, we went to the liquor store and celebrated. So it was, uh, <laughs> I, I, I deeply remember those things. And, um, you know, we, uh, we were pretty fortunate in that we also had a piece of technology that really caught on, the whole um, simulation technology. Uh, a lot of the corporations were really looking for a new way of thinking uh, that drives uh, kind of a, a new way of learning in the organization, and the simulation is is perfect for that. And so as a small business owner then, um, our biggest uh, issue was what we call limits to growth and how to figure out what were our limits to growth. And typically, it's uh, a lot of organizations don't realize, especially small companies, it's growing too fast is often the biggest limit uh, to growth and trying to figure out how to appropriately respond to that growth. And so that's looking at you know, your resources from a staffing perspective. It's looking at your infrastructure, your operations, um, your support, and so forth. So I, I certainly uh, can empathize and feel what she must be going through and what she's thinking. So what we did early on is we used a kind of a, a lower-end simulation concept just called scenario planning. And, uh, you know, that was done through a lot of paper base where we ran through a lot of what-if scenarios and thinking through three months, six months, and one year out, we drew what would we need if this, this growth would occur the way we think, in it, we think that it might happen. And uh, so that was a, a kind of an inexpensive way to do some form of simulation. Um, the second piece of that, then we actually started doing modeling. And modeling is where you use tools that are from the system dynamics world where you actually can model and run some of these what-if scenarios using technology and start to challenge some of your growth. And that's also a, um, 
a, a viable way for small businesses to think through uh, their growth. Okay. Can you can you expound on that a little bit using technology? So, uh, what would that look like? Um, so what that typically looks like is using technology, uh, for example, uh, systems modeling. What that would entail is really creating a model of your current business model of, okay, what, what's the technology, what's the expected growth of that technology, uh, what's the requirements of supporting it, um, what would need to be in place if you know, X, Y, and Z happen, and so forth. And so you can plug all that into the software and then start to move different levers, saying, well, what happens if we sold, you know, 50 of these licenses? What would we need as far as infrastructure? If we sold 300 of these, what would we need? And so you start to run those scenarios within the technology. Okay, got it. And, and this type of software is available where? Uh, a lot of it is you can purchase and download the software. Unfortunately, you, you'd still need some people to uh, help you use it, but probably the most uh, uh, easily accessible software comes out of a company called uh, IC Systems. Okay. Great. Okay, well, that gives us an idea of, um, you know, it sort of uh, replaces just the good old-fashioned mind mapping and brainstorming in a much more functional manner, I would think. It not, does. not to replace it, but to add to it, because I think that it certainly important. does. Yeah, mind mapping all that is fantastic, but that's really just a snapshot. Uh, modeling is really something that plays out over time. Yes. Right. Right. Okay. Great. So, Michael, tell us what the core thinking practices are. Well, one of the things we realized is as we were putting people into these simulations, um, they were having amazing ahas um, to a point where they were truly changing their mental models and developing new ways of thinking. But we also quickly realized that when they went back to the real world, if you will, uh, the noise hit them and all the distractions and so forth, and they kind of fell back to old habits. Mm -hmm. And so that got us thinking. It's like, well, these, these habits are deep. And when we're hit with uh, all the complexities of the day-to-day, um, that's what we almost have to rely on is these old habits. So we said, how, how can we break these? So they're coming out of this simulation. What do we need to do to equip people with a new way of thinking? And so that's got us thinking about the core thinking practices. So there's five of them. It's not a, it's not a process. It's not a procedure. Uh, there's no particular order. So I'll just kind of list these off. All right. um, the first one is really seek to understand the big picture. Uh, what we found... Um, with business owners, small business owners, and large business owners, is we tend to fixate on a part. And we might be able to fix that part, but we inevitably break something else. And so a good leader, a good business owner, steps back and looks at the big picture. Once they see the big picture, then the next one is seek to understand the underlying dynamics. So instead of viewing things as cause and effect, you know, I push the gas pedal and the car goes or I hit the brake and it stops, you know, that's kind of the cause and effect. And we typically, um, as business owners, look at outcomes, events, causes, and we fixate on that. Well, an alternative is to look at the underlying dynamics. What behavior shaped that event? Because if you're already looking at the event, most likely you're too late. And so 
but if you start to understand the underlying structure, you know, the patterns and the organizational structure, the culture, and how all those things work together to create that event, then you can start to be a little more thoughtful into what we call the next practice is seeking to make systemic change. And that's where you make a change, but it is, it is a change that most likely doesn't require a lot of energy, but it has the biggest amount of impact. And a lot of times we feel like uh, we have to kind of go after these big uh, changes in our organization. And oftentimes the harder you push against the system, the harder it pushes back. Or the faster you go, the often the slower you get there. And so understanding these systemic or these system principles helps you make more sustainable changes in the organization. Um, the next two practices are really more about the individuals, the kind of the human dynamics, if you will. And the, it's one is seek to surface limiting beliefs. So uh, we all have bias. We all have mental models of how the world works. We all have fears. And what we found in business owners and, and uh, leaders of big corporations, uh, it doesn't really matter the size of the organization, uh, we all have these. And the, the individuals that could surface these bias or just temporarily suspend their judgment long enough to gain another perspective tend to be more effective at running their business and more effective in their job and their roles. And then the last practice is what we call is seek to evolve a shared vision. And what that really means, and I think uh, Peter Singe said it uh, the best, where that there's nothing more powerful in an organization than when a group of people uh, have created and share a vision together. They're almost like an unstoppable force. And that is so important to any business leader because we get so busy and we're so overwhelmed that we're moving so quickly, we forget how important it is to step back and make sure that everyone on the team is sharing the vision, contributing to the vision, refining the vision, because then that's when you, you realize that power that Peter Singay was talking about. That is so important in creating a company culture, even in a small business, that everyone on board understands the vision and feels, you know, I, I don't think any employee is going to feel the level of passion that the entrepreneur does, but feels some passion for their part in that vision. Absolutely. And that's, I think you, you pointed that out so well in that it's their part in that vision. You're right. They're, they're not going to have all the passion as an entrepreneur, right. but they can see that they contributed to it or they refined it. Um, that that goes a long way. It, it really does. And uh, we've got, again, I can't believe how, how fast these segments are going because uh, I'm enjoying this so much, Michael. Thank you. And uh, we have about a minute and a half until our next break. And um, I don't know if this is your area of expertise, but it's something that comes up often for me as long as we're on this topic of, of employees being passionate about their part of the vision and, and how to help employees along that path, like what things to put in place to create that culture um, that, that really embraces company uh, employee participation and yet doesn't cross that line, because in my experience, a lot of the small business owners who, who do this make some mistakes that bring employees into the friendship model rather than the employer-employee model, and I think that can be a really rough road to travel. So we're going to go into this 
to this break, and when we come back, let's touch on that. And again, we're here with Michael Vaughn, and you can learn more about Michael and everything he does and his wonderful new book that we're going to talk about at thethinkingeffect.com. That's thethinkingeffect.com. And the name of Michael's book is The Thinking Effect, Rethinking thinking to create great leaders and a new value worker. So we're going to talk more about that when we come back from this break. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Are you ready to start rocking that woo-hoo that only you do? Because Lisa Stedman is on a mission. She will dare you, challenge you, enlighten you, provoke and empower you to bring out that inner woo-hoo. Lisa is an internationally acclaimed best-selling author. She is a breakup expert, a brand consultant, CEO of Woohoo Inc. and the Woohoo Radio Network. She will show you how to take your boo-hoo and turn it into woo-hoo. Get rebellious and get real. Get your dreams off the back burner. Get inspired and motivated to take action. Start rocking that woohoo that only you do. In love, life, and business, she is going to be here for you every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. It's time to devote time to yourself and strap yourself in for a fun, down-to-earth, enthusiastic, compassionate, easy-to-understand discussion on the unlimited ways you can be all that you want to be. Join us for B-Institute Radio with Christine McKee on Toginet Radio. Each week, Christine will have lively and open discussions and interviews, share stories and case studies, and hear from experts on the topic of the week. Christine, a registered psychologist from Australia and published author of Be by Design, How I Be is Up to Me, hosts lively discussions and interviews every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Right here. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marlon Tabaka. And thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you're all out there. And I'd like to encourage you to go on over to Inc. Magazine online to read this week's article. Um, I did something about embracing your inner risk taker. So I hope you'll enjoy that. It's, you know, because even successful business owners can start to lose confidence and prefer the confines of that that's not so comfortable comfort zone, as I call it. So go check out Five Ways to Embrace Your Inner Risk Taker this week and, and let me know what you think. And we're here today with Michael Vaughn. And going into break, Michael, we were talking about, you know, bringing employees on board with the mission and the vision and, and helping them to to um, to gain that that level of passion for their part in that and uh, some the fine line that you can walk in in doing so can you contribute some thoughts to that 
concept. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I, I'd be speaking a little outside my expertise in trying to talk about organizational change and cultural change, but some of the areas that we have um, put some energy towards is, and one of the value skills we call it, is around collaboration and getting people to learn how to collaborate across diverse and geographic backgrounds. Because as, as you well know, the, even for a small business, the world is getting smaller. You know, small businesses are competing with big businesses all the time now. And part of their success is how well they learn to collaborate across uh, those geographic boundaries. And so one of the things we've been doing in a lot of our simulations is putting a diverse group of people together in a simulation. And what we found is you give people a problem, um, and if you equip them with the right way of communicating with one another, uh, it's amazing how, how they come together to solve that problem. And so, uh, so that's what we've been really focused on is how to put people into difficult, challenging situations, give them enough information, and then just allow the process to unfold where they're all working together to find out, first off, how do their own actions contribute to what's going on, how their own lack of action is contributing to it, what are they going to need to do to really be the change that they wish to see. Uh, what are they going to do to take more accountability for their own learning or actions around that? And so those are just some of the mindsets that we try to uh, mm -hmm. focus on in the simulations. Yeah, that's wonderful, just creating that awareness by, by putting those situations in front of them and, uh, and seeing how all the pieces fit together when you're working with a team because I think a lot of people can have an issue with working as a team instead of working independently. So. That's yes, great. absolutely. Yeah. So one one of the things you mentioned was seek to surface limiting beliefs, and you know that's that's a that's a big topic. I can say in in my experience, as ten years as a coach, that the people that I've helped to really um, grow their businesses well beyond where they were when they came into coaching, um, many of them really just had some of those limiting beliefs. They were just stuck in a belief system that was keeping them from growing their company and, and doing what they knew they had to do but would make every excuse in the world not to do, right? So let's talk a little bit about how, you know, how, how can people actually set those beliefs aside, um, not just to open that door but to, to permanently move through them and, and el eliminate that huge obstacle to success. Mm, boy, it's, uh, it's great to hear you talk about that because you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I can say with confidence that probably the, the root of most nonproductive meetings, the root of most poor decisions or inability to solve problems is because of an individual's limiting beliefs and or a team's limiting beliefs, if you will. and that if you want to break through that to become more effective at decision making or problem solving or collaboration, um, the key to that is surfacing uh, any fears, bias, flawed mental models that could be uh, inhibiting uh, your ability to, you know, to perform. And so one of the things that we've been really focused on is awareness. Now, uh, it's, it's a little tough to bring the word awareness into the business world, especially in, in the boardrooms. And so we, uh, in other words, we call it surfing, surfacing limiting beliefs. Uh, but at the root of it, it's really around just becoming aware 
of how your own bias and how you're treating other people impact the way you uh, perform. And so uh, this actually originated uh, from some of my travels um, with some Jesuit priests over in India, uh, where I spent quite a bit of time there and trying to understand this whole concept of awareness that they've really have done a good job mastering. And probably the best example uh, that uh, one of them pointed to me to was some research out of Harvard uh, around the ladder of inference, where we it basically talks about the, the stages uh, that we go through uh, before we make a conclusion. And we go through these phases very quickly. And so sometimes we meet somebody and based on how they dress, we might jump to a conclusion that, uh, boy, there must be a lazy person or, boy, that must be a real go-getter. Or based on how someone says something, we might you know, quickly jump to conclusion on, oh, they don't support me or, boy, they are really uh, um, not going to be very helpful here and got to figure out you know, how to get them out of here. And so those conclusions happen so darn quick. And so... So what we're really trying to figure out or help people understand is how can you just temporarily suspend your judgment just long enough to realize you just jumped to a conclusion and that if you could suspend that just momentarily to look at a different perspective, uh-huh. you'll be so much more effective. And are you successful in that? Are, are, are most people willing to even accept that they have judgment and a limiting belief? So uh, I would like to say, yes, we're successful, but I'll, I'll tell you, even, even I, I, I teach this stuff, and even this weekend, this guy cut me off while I'm driving, and believe me, I went to meet in anger and frustration about the individual. All right. And, uh, and then I, I did try to practice what I preach and step back and said, okay, well, you know, maybe he has to you know, get to the airport, or maybe, you know, there's someone in the hospital he has to see. And I'll tell you what, just by asking those questions, it allowed me to change my perspective, it calmed me down, quite frankly, and it uh, it allowed me to kind of just change my whole attitude. So, so it does work, but it, it is hard. It is hard. It is hard, especially. I think you know. It sounds like you and I have both gotten to that place where we can we can kind of put that that I have a mental stop sign that I put up in my mind's eye, and and so I stop and I reassess and I ask those questions. But when you're working with another partner who may not, um, how can I say this non-judgmentally, but um, may not be extraordinarily evolved in the, in the way that they think mm-hmm. and, and, and such uh, in regard to these kinds of things, um, is it difficult to to convince them that, you know, hey, wait, back up. Let's look at this another way. Let's see if there's another perspective. When they're really ingrained in that perspective? Yeah, I think it's very hard to actually move people like that. I think if you're aware that we all have what is called a self-serving bias or a fundamental attribution error bias, which simply means that, you know, in any situation, um, you know, give mercy to myself but judgment to someone else. And so, for example, if I see a, a mother in a store and and uh, she's her kids are running crazy and just screaming, you know, it's so easy for me to sit there and say, boy, that mom just needs to really figure out how to control those kids, you know, and, and I'm doing such a good job with my kids. But the truth of the matter is my kids go crazy like that all the time. And, um, and the right way to think about that is, okay, all of us are going through difficult situations and that if we realize that there's these bias and we try to understand where someone else is coming from, from their perspective, Mm -hmm. we're a lot more 
I, I believe we're more successful in being able to connect with them as opposed to me trying to bring them to my way of thinking. So in another way to say perhaps is seek to understand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most important. So, Michael, you talk about, you use the term value worker in your work. Um, tell us what that means, and um, well, I'll ask my next question based on your definition. So go ahead. Tell us what a value worker is. Yeah, you bet. So uh, that really became the focus of a lot of our research and how to create great thinkers and leaders. And so we really started looking into what is, what are the thinking patterns of those individuals that tend to do well in ambiguous, complex situations um, and that differentiate themselves from others who merely just perform their jobs. And so we really started looking at those thinking patterns, and those patterns became kind of the, the definition of what we call the value worker. And to add to that, some of the other things we started thinking about is, why, why is a value worker important today? And we started just doing some research and looked at the industrial era and saying, okay, then we had the worker. And it was important uh, that the worker was taught what to think so they can get out there and perform a job and uh, do a skill well and help build a country. And then later, we had the knowledge worker, uh, which was fantastic in that that helped build an economy. But a value worker is somebody who's really going to be shaping you know, the globally interconnected political, social, economic ecosystem. So it's a new way of thinking. And so we felt really, we felt that this was so important to really define what is this new way of thinking and actually um, call it something so people can point to it and understand it. And that's where we came up with the value worker. Okay. And so do people tend to, this, this just keeps taking me back to the left brain, right brain tendencies. Um, do you find that people who are more, lean more to the, the right brain um, tend to be more of a value worker? Well, actually, no, because one of the things that we also did is we started saying, okay, what at the root or what we call the core of a value worker, we came up with what are called the core abilities. And uh, you'll see it's really focused on both left and right. So critical thinking, creative thinking, and the fulcrum being systems thinking. So we really found the value worker as an individual that might have a strength, you know, in creative or critical, but they need to learn all three of them to really become a value worker. Okay. Wow. And we're going into break again. It's our final break. And so when we come back, I'd like to touch a little bit more on that. And um, and perhaps, again, I don't know if we're going outside the realm of, of what it is you do, but, but how people can spot these people who have those three core abilities uh, when they're bringing on employees or they're assessing employees because I think that's really important. I can imagine that that, person is a little bit tricky to find because that's creating, that's combining three very different ways of of thinking in, in my outlook anyway. So we'll come right back to Million Dollar Mindset. Thanks for joining us. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. 
and we'll be right back after these. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. It's talking smack with Beth, the real sports mom. It's one hour of hot topics that matter to sports moms and athletes. We'll be bringing you tips and advice from the leaders in youth sports today, as well as some inspiring stories from athletes and sports moms. With our own Sports Moms Roundtable, you're invited to be part of our show. We strive to educate and empower sports moms everywhere. Join us for Talkin' Smack with Beth, the real sports mom, every Thursday at 12 noon central, right here on the TogiNet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on TogiNet.com. And now, back to your host, Marla Tabaka. And we're here today with Michael Vaughn, who's the president at the Regis Company. And Michael is also the author of a book called The Thinking Effect, Rethinking Thinking to Create Great Leaders and the New Value Worker. And that's what we're talking about right now is the definition of that value worker. And, uh, and Michael, you were saying that the core abilities include critical thinking, creative thinking, and systems thinking. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, wow, <laughs> you know, you have to find one super, super duper employee um, to fit that mold. Is, is that really difficult to find? Well, it, um, it is difficult to find primarily because our education system is currently not equipped for developing these skills. Right. Now, yeah, if you look outside of kind of the primary education system and look at uh, some of these other initiatives that are going on, young kids are developing these system thinking skills and developing these critical thinking as well as creative thinking skills. So it certainly can be done, but it is, to your point, difficult to find today. Yeah, I would think, do you know, I, again, I don't know if you know anything about this particular thing, but um, do you find that millennials fit more into this this mold or this, you know, ability, triple you know, ability? I, yeah, I haven't done a lot of research in that area to really verify yeah. or validate that, so I, I really wouldn't know if they, if they would or not. I would just assume that. To some extent, yes, because they're so much more social in nature. They're used to collaborating. They're used to bringing in a lot of different thinkers. Um, they think a little more systemic. Uh, but that's, again, that's just my opinions. Yeah, I know, and, and that's what I'm thinking, too. I, I'm not an expert there either. But So, okay, bringing this back to small business, do you have any insights on how we can determine if, if an applicant or current employee 
has these three core abilities. You, you bet. Yeah. You know, we uh, we obviously use simulations uh, to really help in this right. because they're just so fantastic at putting people through so many scenarios. But you can actually do something rather simple, uh, and a small business would be able to do this as well. And I think there's organizations that do this today, um, even large ones, where they give people a scenario, uh, some information, and they are asked to read that information. And because what that's doing is you're, you're assessing their ability around critical thinking. Are they able to hone in on what's important of the information you're giving them? Then based on that, have them present you some recommendations or courses of action. Based on what I've just read, based on the situation, I would recommend this uh, potential way of uh, moving forward. And then have them think through what would be the short-term and the long-term consequences of, of the recommendation that they're putting forth. And so that brings in critical, creative, and systems thinking. Okay. I love that. I love that. So you can take, actually I have my clients do this all the time when they're looking at new employees. They can take, for instance, a scenario that has has existed within their business or even currently exists within their business and, and ask those questions of it and actually have them do that problem solving and, uh, you know, give an outlook for that yeah. scenario. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really important that they provide some recommendations. You know, they don't have to be right, and that's not what we're looking for here. Right. Is we're looking for how did they approach it? Are they thinking it through? Are they are they coming up with some interesting options? And equally important, are they thinking through the short as well as the long term? Because a lot of people can think through short term consequences, um, but it's a little harder to think through potential long term unintended consequences. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Well, that's a good tip. Thank you. So you've worked with a lot of people in those C-suite positions, Michael, and, and uh, I'm sure the employees under them and, and probably in your startup phase, maybe even some smaller businesses. And we've talked about the limiting beliefs and, and how those perceptions can really get in the way of, of growth. But what what other major derailers do you see out there that business owners could be aware of within themselves and, and, and the circumstances that they create in their business? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in the book, we outlined uh, five derailers, and uh, two of them we've covered uh, already around bias and fears. But there are three that I believe uh, hit everybody, regardless of the size of your business. And the first one is around attention. Um, and that's really around this illusion of being able to be good at multitasking. And small business owners uh, are always juggling hundreds of balls. And the more they quite frankly, the less effective they become. Our brains are not wired to, you know, be multitasking. We have to switch between activities. And that switching between activities drains us emotionally and intellectually. So when it comes time to making the important decisions, uh, we're too tired and we'll just resort to guessing or old uh, flawed mental models. So that, that's, that's one big derailer. Um, another one is uh, just around the noise uh, that... Uh, small businesses, large businesses uh, are faced with today. And what I mean by noise is that endless stream of information that's coming in from uh, media, that's coming in from all the reports and data analysis. And it's almost like so much information that we're becoming hesitant to make decisions because we 
feel like, well, maybe there's something else I should be reading, maybe something else I'm doing. And so then uh, so action is not being taken uh, because of all the noise. So the thing I would recommend there is really try to balance, you know, getting information, but at some point you just need to execute and being ready to adapt if it works or doesn't work. Ah, that's the key, right? Being ready to adapt, understanding that your decisions aren't necessarily always, you know, the final decision that you can change. That's right. Of course. Yeah. 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 Okay. And what's the third? Uh, the other one was around choice. And what we're finding is that um, there's almost too many choices out there nowadays. You know, you go to this, uh, the, the supermarket and you go down the cereal aisle and I, I, I don't know if this happens to you, but I get frustrated. I see all these cereals, and I just start trying to read one box another. And by, you know, after a minute or two, I, I just don't know which one to buy. And so right. I just grab a couple. And, uh, and it's amazing how, how emotionally drained I feel afterwards, uh, just from that little tiny, you know, choice of cereal. So, um, so I think one of the things that business leaders can become aware of is. You know, trying to create more options and more choices isn't necessarily helpful. Um, you know, trying to create, you know, a couple good recommendations and letting them play out is probably going to be much more effective than lots of choices because it just becomes emotionally draining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. It reminds me even of parenting skills, you know, how how parents uh, have been told that you want to empower your children with choices, and yet, you know, when you're asking a three-year-old if they, you know, want to go into their closet and pick out whatever they want to wear, <laughs> it ends up in a tantrum. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I just try to keep it down, you know, with my kids. I'm, I'm all about teaching them how to how to think, and so I do want to give them choice, but I usually just give them one or two, you know, and right. I call it more of a trade-off. You know, do you want to do this or this? With here's the outcome you know, of each one of those, and that's that tends to work better. And I actually find that tends to work better with employees. Yeah, yeah, most definitely it does. And and you know, I try to tell my business owners when they expect the employees to think like they do that that's not going to be possible because you're not hiring other entrepreneurs. And, you know, you're hiring people who are good at what you want them to be good at, um, but they're not going to think like you. They're not going to That's think right. like the entrepreneur. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, That's right. I was just going to say that. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, the business would get going. <laughs> oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit to this multitasking because, you know, I've done a whole product around the, the evils of multitasking, right? And and yet entrepreneurs are are crazy multitaskers, and they take pride in it. And when you talk to them, as you know, you talk to them about, you know, what a downfall it can be, and what you get is, well, if I don't do everything, it's not going to get done, it's not going to get done right, I, you know, I have to redo what other people do, you know, I have to multitask. Uh, talk a little bit more about how, how, you, how we can solve this issue. Boy, gosh, uh, that, that's a great question. And, you know, i got to be honest, I struggled with that and probably still struggle with that. Um, you know, it's, it's at some point the business gets big enough where you can hire a lot of great, talented people around you uh, that you trust and they just run with it. And that's, that's yeah. kind of where we are now. And so, uh, but that's taken a while to get there. Um, yeah. And so I think what I've noticed, though, in our early years of developing the company is that a, a clear focus on a couple objectives was so much more helpful 
because then I would be juggling fewer balls. And, and so having that clear objective, communicating that and getting a shared vision with the rest of the group allowed me to do less multitasking. I, I couldn't stop, but I did less, which then gave me more energy when I needed to make some of the bigger decisions. Multitasking is such a drain, and I just I think that I agree with you wholeheartedly, and it's something you do have to build up to. Unfortunately, the solopreneur is going to get stuck in some multitasking, but there, you know, there are certainly ways to control that, and um, and maybe they need to hire a good coach to find out, or you know, so you that know, someday absolutely. they can hire the Regis company. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right, and I, it's interesting. Uh, small business people have a difficulty in making those choices to bring in a coach or to bring in, you know, someone to help them understand what's going on because that's just more money going out the door. But sometimes if you get the right people, that's the best investment uh, a small business could ever have made. Yeah, well, certainly they can recoup their money very, very quickly and, and uh more than that. So, Michael, this has just been such a delight. We're already at the end of our show. I thank you so kindly for being here with us. Um, is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with? Well, no, I just uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, share this time with you and your audience. I, I really appreciate it and um, would love to share any of our research. So you could either hit our website or email me directly and I'll share articles and blogs and other things that we have. And because uh, I think we all need to be thinking this way because the world is changing so quickly that the more people that we have, you know, trying to rethink thinking, the better off we're all going to be. You know it. And that website again is? Is the www.thethinkingeffect.com. Wonderful. Michael Vaughn, thanks again for me being on the Million Dollar Mindset, and I look forward to staying connected with you. And Likewise. everyone. Bye-bye, Michael. And everyone out there listening, thank you so much for being here today. I look forward to hearing from you about things that you'd like to learn about on the Million Dollar Mindset. And uh, you can reach me, as always, at Marla at MarlaTabaka.com. Marla at MarlaTabaka.com. Now, don't forget to go on over to Inc.com and check out this week's article on embracing your inner risk taker. So that is Inc.com slash author slash Marla hyphen Tabaka. And we will see you here next week on The Million Dollar Mindset. Thank you for being a part of the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka from Toginet. If you've always known there was more out there for you, but you just weren't sure how to get there,